Hello and welcome to Franchising Uncut. I'm Bruce McFarlane, CEO of BDC Partners. After the success of our Tell Us Jeff and Story franchising series where we interviewed some amazing franchisors last year, we decided to change the format a little bit this year and dive into some of the big issues in franchising in a little more detail. Today I'm here with my business partners and former franchisors, John Sully and David Lindsay. Welcome, gents. Thank Welcome. you very much. Thanks. Thank Thanks, you. Bruce. Lovely to see you. Um, and so, John, first question for the year, um, where did your hair go? Were you feeling left out as part of the team? That I, you were I, I got a memo that said there was a bald convention yeah. going on, <laughs> and I had to do something about that. So I got my 16-year-old son to shave my head, and he was actually gagging when he was doing it, <laughs> which made me feel fantastic. Uh, I do have one important question. Did you go with the mohawk look before you... I had tufts, little tufts everywhere. It was very cool. Well, welcome to the club, yeah, John. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, John, over the break, you know, when you were on holidays, you decided to jump on LinkedIn and just rant, uh, as you normally do. But mm-hmm. one of the ones, one of the, your posts on LinkedIn did generate lots of conversation, which was fantastic. Uh, lots of conversation from franchisors from all around the world. In- interestingly, yeah. people were commenting from all over the place. Yeah. Um, so what we decided to do, the three of us, is to go, well, let's move some of these discussions we were having about some of the issues and challenges in franchising from our boardroom table and from over the phone on our calls to a series, a new series as part of our um, podcast series. So initially, Franchising Uncut, pretty crap name, so we're going to come up with a different name. So, you know, something, I'm not the creative one of the group, so Dave... Maybe F and Encore. Oh, F and Encore. So we want to hear from people about what topics they want to hear from. So if you're watching this now, shoot through a topic if there's something you want to um, get into. But today, the first topic was what's wrong with franchising. You were, you know, you were talking about how is franchising broken? What are the, you know, some of the challenges? And so what prompted you to write a post about, you know, franchising, it's, it's dying and it's, it's over. Yeah, look, it's an interesting one because the, the over Christmas, um, as just as a bit of backstory, uh, we had our old au pair babysitter come out and from Germany, and she bought some presents, but she also bought COVID. So <laughs> we were, uh, which was very nice of her. We uh, were basically in lockdown for two and a half weeks, and it just sort of it, it gave me a bit of a chance to sort of have a think about the, the last year and what we'd been working on and what we've yeah. been doing and i sort of felt uh, it felt hollow you know I, I love franchising it's a great way for for people to get in and and take their own step and start a business and and you know you've got Walk safe yeah you've got safety blankets you should have you know guide Solid rails systems, around yeah. all that yeah. sort of stuff and and I just felt like some of the companies that are, that I've seen and that we've seen, it just lost its way, and and we it had gone from when we were growing businesses and Michelle's in particular, it was about making the franchisee money, and now it's just about it seems to be not all not all the same. Don't it's a, a generalist comment, but yeah. Um, they are looking at how they can gouge as much money out of every facet of the dollar flow throughout these systems. And it, it's just, we're just missing the mark. And it, and it pissed me off, to be honest, because it's, 
it's can and is giving franchising a bad name when it shouldn't. They should have no right to do that. It's providing a lot of content for the people who like to shit on it. Yeah, yeah well, that's right, exactly, and it, and that's that's the shame, and that that's what you know I I why I wrote that because I I, I just wanted to say as a check to to everyone, look, just just stop. You know, there's so many systems. We always talk about. You know, when you get to that twenty twenty four stores, critical mass that it, that it all it that's when it stops, and I and I think it stops because um, for the X Factor is always the founder in many cases, and they're they're getting new people on into the system to to do the work and blah blah blah, all that sort of standard stuff. But I think it also it also fails at that point because particularly recently that the, the money is not there. The return to the franchisee is not there. So right. th- so they're getting there and they're going, well, hold on a minute, I'm not fucking making any money yeah. here. The, the franchisor is, but I'm not, not like what, what it used to be. So... Do you think that was... Was that a... F- so it's not just a factor of interest rates went up 13 times last year or whatever it was, and so, the, you know, cost of living went up, so the, the franchisee's expenses were going up. Do you think it was it's more broader, bigger issue that it's been coming for a while because franchisors, the way that they're charging the franchisees for all the different parts. And 100%. It's, well, it's like, you know, a franchisor who's getting rebates on a product in the cost of good. They're getting mm. rebates on a product that they actually don't outlay to supply their franchisees. It's the supplier going straight to their franchisees, mm. but then they're getting a lick. Now, do you know how much a franchisee can become profitable just by giving that allocation, even putting, if, they're, if the supplier's happy to give that rebate, why not put that rebate into a marketing fund that's exactly. going to generate more customers exactly. for the franchisee and get the franchisors focused on working further royalty percentage as mm. opposed to how can I lick a couple of bits and pieces here? Yeah. Because it's the franchisee. Like I've always said, nothing sells franchises better than profitable franchises. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if you're talking, so let's, let's dive into the profitability bit thing a bit. So um, do you think that, the franchisors have got a good sense of how their franchisees are going. When we're talking, obviously, that's you know from large to small, but it just seems, in my experience, particularly the smaller ones, whilst they have clauses in their franchise agreements, they'll have software available to do it, they don't necessarily have either the resources or they're not investing the time into understanding their franchisees' P&Ls, so they don't really know what's I, going I also, on. I also think it's the people who are there who's helping setting up their franchise systems, who they're surrounding... Right back to the very start. Right back (laughs) to the very start. Who are they surrounding themselves around? Like, geez, Bruce, we've we've gone and taken a look at numerous businesses that have come to us to franchise, and because we go into such a financial element of the setup, the unit economics, is this thing going to be profitable for them? And we've said no to to businesses looking to franchise... And what's heartbreaking is you know that they're not going to make it and then you go to an FCA event and you see they're, they're at the event with a franchise business. And the model didn't stack up. And yeah, the so model never stuck up from a financial point of view. Like you're, you're sitting there scratching your head going, okay, well, let's pull this all the way back. Are we doing the correct due diligence, financial due diligence on whether this is a franchisable business or not? Is there enough margin in it for franchisees to get a return? What's the overall investment? Are they going to get a salary out of it? Like it, it all starts in the roots. How these, how these systems are being set up from the get go. Yeah. So, there, so new systems, obviously, you know, that's 
you know, you're a startup or an emerging, you're pretty close to when that all started. But there's some of the established systems that have been around for a long time. And, and maybe their business model hasn't evolved. And so it's not necessarily profitable anymore because supply costs have gone up a lot. Labor. You know, labor, rent, all the thing, you know, the things have yeah. gone up. So, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, what a franchise was doing to reassess their model? Because that's a pretty scary task to yeah. undergo yeah. to actually go back and remodel it. If you see... The only thing that I've seen is a sales, a sales or price increase. Yeah, that's it. That, that, that's it's just polishing a turd, yeah, basically. Yeah. So, um, that they need to go re- revisit all that entire process, and and it could very well be that the the model is now flawed, and it's it could be all over. Generally, it shouldn't be, but. Um, going back and revisiting if there's suppliers, third-party suppliers, what they're doing and, and the price that they're, they're, they're um, delivering their product at. It could be an overseas thing. It could be a uh, when you're looking at um, the initial investment of if you're doing costing 500000 you go overseas and you can deliver it for 400000 if it's a shop fit, if it's bricks and mortar. So return on investments, which is what it's all about, is is absolutely critical. Can I just jump on one thing that you, that you were saying? Even at the start, every time we've looked at a franchise system, it, it is that you have a you have some that are a light touch and you have yeah. some that are a heavy touch. Yeah. So I would say McDonald's is a, is a heavy touch. They control Seven everything. Seven Eleven, all that sort of stuff. I love that shit. I think I'm a communist at heart, to be honest. But <laughs> I love that stuff because you buy into a system with people that were police officers, they were farmers, they were accountants, whatever. They yeah, don't know how to fucking run a business or deliver numbers. A lot of these franchisees that, that I've dealt with over the years don't even know the difference between GP and cost of goods. Correct. They, they, yeah. they just don't get it. And um, even though you walk them through it well, well, over and over and over again. Margin and Markle. Exactly. the difference. That's exactly right. So, so I'm a full believer that the franchisor should have intimate financial knowledge of every franchise yeah. that they have in their system because there are you, the amount, and you would have gone through the same thing, the amount of times that you see someone that's got their own personal problems, whether it's yeah. they're going through a marriage breakup or their mum and dad are sick or they're, they've you know, they've got alcoholic or their kids are sick or whatever and the eye just gets off, off yeah, the ball. Off the numbers, yeah. Yeah, and you need to know that sooner rather than later. And you go and have a meeting with them and then you get a call from the landlord that says they haven't paid their rent for six months. Or tax. Or the tax, okay. exactly. <laughs> Super. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, what? Yeah. So it's, yeah. a, it's a killer. You need to have full visual of that or else you're just fucking but, around, to be honest. But at the end of the day, you're bringing it back to you're buying a system. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many since coming from the franchisor side of the fence to the supplier side of the fence. And it's amazing to see how many brands actually don't have benchmarks as a very, very simple metric to say. And empowering your, you know, your, your field managers, in, instead of having them going in there to go, oh, you've, you've got dirty windows or you've got dust on your shelves or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just, that's irrelevant. Well, you've got to make sure the it's shop is safety with the it's optics, it's optics yeah. and all yeah. that shit. Critical. But at the end of the day, if you're not sitting down looking at what their bottom line is looking at, it's, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Because it's supposed to be a collaboration and it's, you know, you hear, you hear all of, it's all about collaboration, working together and everything like that. But 
we stand off when it comes to financials. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, um, franchise fees are on top line, and so yeah, um, there's a lot of talk about sales, but there's often not a lot of talk about expenses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so profitability, because at the so, do you think there's yeah? So it's just a matter of it's a part of the conversation. It's helping educate because given that your base, depending on what system you're in, but often the franchisees are passionate about fitness or passionate about food or whatever it is. Yeah, correct. And so they're, they're, they, they love the product that they're in a franchise system for, but they don't necessarily have all the skills around it. So it's just, mm. it's making sure that that financial knowledge is passed on. Exactly. And yeah, they have right. the, the tools to understand it as yeah. well because they, you know, you, you can't teach passion. In, no. And if they're like, exactly like what you said, they love food or they love... Uh, fitness, God knows I don't. Um, <laughs> walking dogs. Yeah, walking dogs, exactly. <laughs> but if 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 you have that, then you've got it all. You can t- you can do everything else. Yeah. But you can't you can't create passion. No, and you can't train attitude. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So you got all that. So you got all those things, and that's why it's so disappointing when you've got these people that are passionate about walking dogs or fitness or whatever it is, mm. and then they're not that great at running a business, but yep. they've got into a franchise because. If they had started it themselves, they probably would have gone broke a lot quicker mm. yeah. than what they did. It's it's like it's like this whole idea. Uh, we don't want our franchisees too entrepreneurial because then they'll go out and do their own things. Mm. But yet, when you're recruiting them and bringing them on, you're telling them now let them go and look for a site. Mm. Now oh, let yeah. them go and get this financial advice. Now, but we're not <laughs> going to give them any financial information. And it's kind of like you're either one or the other. So yeah. what what do we what are we doing? Are we a franchise system that we can? guide them through this and give them the guide rails to your point. It's, That's but yeah. it's interesting what you say though, because if if you're gonna be a um, we'll talk about the economics of the franchisor now. So yeah. if you're a franchisor and you're you've got eight sites, right? Yeah. So you don't have a property guy and a field man. You don't have all you have the founder mm-hmm. and three people. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to do all these things. At yeah. best it's yeah. a founder yeah. and someone yeah. So it's just yeah. that challenge for the fr- that emerging franchise or the startup franchisor as they go through the start. The founder's probably finding the sites, the founder's managing the fit right. outs, the founder's doing, like all of those things, which you both were involved in all those different parts. But mm. I guess the economics of the franchise, or they don't have enough royalties to, to cover Absolutely. employing all these people. So mm. I guess it's that balance between what you're doing yourself, what you're bringing a team in-house, and then what you're using external consultants to do, mm-hmm. and who's paying for it all as, part, as part of the thing. Yeah. So you know, I think that's a really important one because the franchise or if they're using external parties, well, are they managing the external parties? Are they just telling the franchisee, off you go? So, well, I'm gonna, I am going want to talk about a couple of them, but like supply chain's the one you've already yeah. touched on. So mm-hmm. let's talk about supply chain for a minute. So you, you know, you, you've been involved in a few different businesses. One of them, supply chain was the biggest issue you've talked to, you know, mm-hmm. so to talk about bad supply chain, party shop. Yeah. Um, but then other one, you're involved in a bakery. So, you you know, you're managing mm-hmm. that. So and what, controlled it. And controlled it. So yeah. Why did it go wrong, and then what did you do right in the other one? Well, I mean, the first one was was right. The Michelle stuff was right because we we controlled it and we made it. Um, the biggest issue was was really around staff. So we had recipes, we had raw materials, all that sort of stuff. So we were we were in complete control, um, and we could change the product to meet the time. So if it was seasonality, and mm-hmm. and we we started doing you know, fruit freons or, or whatever the hell, or danishes that the, was the, the fruit at the time that was in season, you're making products like that. Healthy so products. <laughs> oh, <I don't> <laughs> um, but then on the party shop side, we were, we, we'd done a deal with an American company, Am- Amscan, 
um, and they had thousand or nine hundred party city stores. So all all of the the fast moving goods, you know, cards or games or whatever the hell they were, hats, party hats, um, all went to them. So we we we'd get it like six months, eight months later, and the horse had bolted. So if there was a new movie out, yeah. um, it, it was it was gone and dusted by the time we got the product. So. That was a, a massive lesson to me to, to be very careful in anything that you get involved in that you have continuity and control of the supply of the products. So, yeah. What about you, mate? <laughs> well, the thing is, because uh, we used to bring in the salt machines, yeah. and the biggest thing was fixing service and warranties and warranty oh, yeah. issues because we didn't have, we actually didn't have service per- personnel here. So oh, because they, 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 they were from Europe, weren't they? They were from Europe. Uh-huh. Yeah. <clears throat> so I used to have to do all of the servicing of the machines myself, and then we always carried spare equipment. So if something <clears throat> did break down, we always wanted our, we didn't want one machine down for 24 hours for our franchisees. So I, I always carried a piece of equipment to quickly whip in, whip out, send the other one back to Europe, get it fixed, and then get it brought back. So making sure your suppliers are pretty much, along with all the stakeholders in the franchise system, they all need to be shared in the vision of what you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. where you're going, how you're doing it. And, and they make it a priority to, to be towing the line with you. That's, it's crucial. Absolutely. Yeah. Where'd you get the salt? Um, uh, down in Corio. There was a pharmaceutical grade salt down in Corio. Right. Cheatham salts. So, so another one. Funny I want... story of that one. Because <laughs> then you sold it, you dodgy prick. I, I, as, <laughs> as table I, salt. I, I, had, I, <laughs> I had a Volkswagen Caddy, and I I, I learned its uh, payload one day by putting a full pallet of salt in the back of it coming up from Geelong. Oh. Jesus Christ! I think the axle scraped the whole a whole <laughs> oh, <laughs> the whole road all the way up. It's quite funny actually. Well, another one that I think um is a, an interesting one is is around site selection and, and yeah. fit outs and so we'll probably lump them both in together so you know being part of a system where the franchisor says well the franchisee knows the area they'll be able to find their own site and they'll know the local contractor so they'll be able to get it fitted out because they'll know builders and they'll know all that and that's great if you know your, your franchisee has any idea what they're doing about negotiating leases talking to landlords what sort of deals are in place and then talking to builders and actually understanding, you know, how that pro- and, and having time mm. to project manage because often Correct. your franchisees have got another job; they're still working, so they're they're, they're getting well, ready to start service and death. That's that, that is, so they're, they're, it's a balancing act. Yeah, so trying to you know they, they, they want to get the site open as quickly as possible, Correct. but at the same time they're trying to manage all these things. So, you know, let's talk about that That's, process. We'll start with you this time, Dave. You know, how did you? That process did that evolve in terms of no, it evolved. So yeah. eventually, we um, we used to make the franchisee do it. Yep. And then it got to the stage where we recognised that we weren't opening the locations quickly. Uh, or? Quick, we weren't opening them with a whole lot of uh, collateral, a whole a whole lot of outreach, a whole lot of following, brand awareness, clients ready to go, booked in. And when when I done the assessment. All of the franchisees were doing was talking to builders, talking to designers, going to get fixtures and fittings, doing this, that and the other when they should have been solely focused on activations in the local community. So 
that then very simple fix i then went okay well i'm going to create a product uh, sorry a style guide and i'm then going to align with builders and this is our selection criteria so i then would find a number of different sites and go and inspect them with the franchisee and then we'd both sign them off together and um, from there we had builders that were aligned to how we done it. so it was literally one day a box would show up and the entire place would get fit out but the franchisee was solely focused on local area activations and that's why the our, our locations were starting before i exited our locations were opening up profitable so with um with all of that was um the site selection, so I go right back. So did yep. you, you found the site with yes. them? Yes. So yeah. the lease negotiations, you're assisting. Well, I knew the drivers. Yeah. So if you take a look at these, these guys have been customers with you, like 90% of my franchisees at the time, I believe, were customers of ours. So they actually didn't know the main cry. And they weren't thinking of little things like, is there street is, is there lights on the street for security reasons? You know, predominantly most of our employees in our centers were, were female. Did they feel comfortable locking mm. up on a winter's night if there was if there was lighting if there was lighting? Is there a car park out the back? What sort of security is there out there? Do you know, is there a step? A lot of our customers had emphysema. Is there a step up into the shop? Like little things like that. That if this is your first time looking for a site, you would never even think of. Yeah. You'd never even think of it in a million days. So, like, what's the parking allocation? Do you know, is there only four car parks out the front when we've got a capacity of 20 people? Like, is there only four car parks for an hour or half an hour? What is it? Yep. These are key little criteria. Has the, has the switchboard been upgra upgraded? Because that could be a massive, massive price uh, allocation. Well, well that's a, I was going to dive into, well, before I get to you, but just about the cost of these things. Because, yeah. obviously, there's a big variation between a shopping centre compared to a strip shop or a, a new building compared to an established building or, you know, all those sorts of things. And so you might say it cost you whatever. What was the salts of the earth open? 250, 300. They're about 250. Yeah. So 250 to 300. But then if someone takes one that's instead of being 150 square metres, it's 250 oh, it square metres. It blows it out. And then yeah. so how do you manage that? So mm. what about you? Like, you know, the, you've got 360 Michelle's patisseries over the journey. So yeah. a, are they all the same or were they big I, and like, small? I'm, I'm going to be a, a smart ass here. I love it, love it when franchisors, they finally find a franchisee. And let's say that I use it, a use a police officer. Now, he's expected to go out and have knowledge about everything that Dave said <laughs> about the site. Foot traffic. He's got to have knowledge of what his electrical bill will be when he's fitting it out. All of, all of the costs around the construction. In the meantime, if it's food, he's got to go to the health department, do, a, do mm. the, the uh, health exam. Oh, yeah, do you need a permit for yeah, that? Do, do, all, do all that <laughs> shit. Yeah, lodge all those forms. Um, he's got to get finance from somewhere. He's got to get trained. He's still probably trying to do his job. He's just made a massive life decision mm. about leaving his role that he's been for 20 or 30 years. And um, he's taking the punt that if it all goes to shit, he's going to lose a huge amount of money. And then he's got to go and work out what sort of taps he wants. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what the fuck is that? I mean, it, it it really does irritate me so much. The, the we're a little bit similar to Dave that at, at the end for for Michelle's, we found the site, 
and it was a different time, so it was a bit easier to franchise at that point. It was a, a bit of a flurry, so I'm not being dismissive of how hard it can be to find a franchisee. But I would always take find the site first because to for a franchisee to be able to see the site that you've selected, it's tangible. Yeah, you can picture it there. Yeah. You, know, you know, you can, you know it. So um, I would always do that way. It's difficult to manage the, the landlord relationship because they can't hold the site because they got to still try and release mm. it because you haven't signed the lease. Um, I, I'm very comfortable with the franchisees taking the lease. Got no dramas with that whatsoever. But that's all they do. Everything else, the franchisor went, and we at Michelle's did. They just got the keys. All they had to worry about was their training, getting their finance ready, and away they went. And so dealing with the emotional so then you, side. So then the um, the cost of the finance. So if you take the example, the one fifty, or you take a two fifty, you say, oh, there's a bigger site. The rent's about the same. Yeah. So you've got this bigger site. You go, oh, great, but my rent's about what you said. Yeah. But now I've got a two hundred fifty square meter site. Mm. So it's going to yeah. cost me four hundred thousand dollars. That's a four hundred thousand dollars fit out. Yeah. So how do you manage? So, but you just said no. Our model is this size. I, I, I just don't, for bricks and mortar franchising, I do not believe that anyone, any franchisee should just be sent out and going and finding the site. Yeah, okay. It should be, it's, you're buying into a system for God's sake. Yeah. And they're not expected to know that and it is a delay. It's hard enough nowadays to find a franchisee, let alone giving them opportunities where they can change their mind or whatever. There's so many barriers to entry at the moment for bricks and mortar well, franchisees. If you eliminate them. If you take them. a look at the lending landscape now, like banks, they want to see a draft lease before they'll release funds. Mm. So you're going out and you're finding a franchisee. Now, mm. nothing kills deals quicker than time. So if you go out and you find a franchisee and then it's like, well, we really can't sign this up until they find a site. But it could take so long to get a site which is the right one mm -hmm. for that business in that suburb. And if it takes too long, the franchisee is going to lose interest. So it's always important to have, do you, do you have your development strategy right? Do you know, do you know where you're going? Do you have your territories mapped? Yeah. And who, who is it that's always looking for real estate in that? Because there's two commodities at play here. You've got one, a really good franchisee who, who's hot to trot, but we don't have a site. Mm. So why are we looking for one without looking for the other? Yeah, yeah. we might, I might, I think we'll, we want the recruitment part, I want to keep separate, but yeah. I think, but in terms of sites, because yeah. that's, because the other thing is it's for an emerging, you know, you're a franchise or you've got eight sites, mm -hmm. you don't, and you're based in Perth. Yes. So it's tricky because... That's the other challenge. Yeah, the other challenge is you don't have the resources to Correct. fly someone down to, you know, Mount Eliza where we live. Mm -hmm. It's a long way away from Perth. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'd say, oh, you know, I know Mornington, you know, well, I just want to be down on Main Street because that's where all the people are. But we can't, the model doesn't fit because yeah. it's too expensive but to be on Main Street. You touched on it before about are there, one of the critical things, and, and none of us are naive enough to, to not say that when you're, when you're starting out, it is bloody hard oh, as a franchise or with cash. Yep. You've got to do everything. You're the cook, the baker, the whatever. Um, but when you're stacking up the model, you've got to remember, I don't think people know this as well as they should, that development costs uh, you can recoup in the sale of a franchise. So if you are paying um, you know, 10 grand to a property person or 15 to a recruitment person, you can claim that back as part of the development fund. 
So, or development cost of that franchise, I should say. So when you're stacking it up, you've got to make sure you're including that in the ROI to say, okay, well, it fit out cost is 250, my development cost is 25, my training cost is this, my blah, 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 gets me to 400,000 in cost, and my ROI is, is you know, 40%, whatever it is. You've got to stack that up. Mm-hmm. So because when you, you, because you're one or two people usually at that point, you will outsource it to, to someone, and you should, and you should be able to afford to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you can focus on the stuff where you would be working in the stores or in the franchise or in the in the van with it. And that's a really interesting point because traditionally how it stacks up is is that, and listen, I had five iterations of our franchise model until we really cracked the nut and, and went for it. Um, we started bringing in those charges. But what we done is we balanced out our, our initial franchise fee to say, okay, well, that's that's our kind of clip there mm. for you know developing the IP and everything like that. But traditionally what happens is unless you're a full unless you're a much larger franchise organization where you can absorb that development cost from the IFF or IIF uh, initial franchise fee, um, mostly mostly emerging brands, they take it out of that fee and then all of a sudden they've got scraps to actually feed and try and grow from that and they just can't run a profitable franchise mm. or so they've got to get very solid. But don't on. you think that, that that initial, what do you call it, initial, initial franchise, franchise fee, fee. Yeah. that should, to me, that should be a net fee. It needs to be a net fee. So it's net. Like, it's yeah. hard enough. And and, yeah. and I'm certainly not saying this is right, but I've seen some franchise systems are selling stores and selling franchises to get the franchise fee just to survive. Yes. You know, that, that's... That's bloody hard, and you're in a pretty tough spot that, when you're doing that. Well, that's what's happening in that in that in that race to critical mass. Yeah, yeah. that's that's what's happening. So I think, you know, the focus. I think the theme of all of that is that we need to focus on the success of the franchisee. So we need mm-hmm. to make sure yeah, that the no, franchisee no, no. is profitable and they're getting a return on the investment. That's and it the starts thing. from the beginning. And it starts from the beginning. Hundred percent. Like it's it's like when you bring people without experience design but they go i want our locations to look like this and all of a sudden it ramps up like i've had a couple of pretty hard discussions with some of our clients lately where you know it's eight hundred thousand buy-in or whatever but the return has been really stretched out because they want their locations to look a certain way yeah but hang on a second what's the roi for the franchisee Mm. you can sell it and and you know the answer was well let's yeah, let's stretch out back. the franchise fee yeah, or the initial term, and it's like well hang on a second do we downsize what is it like who is our typical customer are they online offline but it's back to I'm going to wind it up now because yeah. but um I think you know the the original point it's about the the success of the franchisee so Correct. it's about their making sure they're making a return. And if you're a new model, making sure that the unit economics stacks Stack. up. And if you're an old established model, revisit it mm. because maybe it's not quite working Change. anymore because yep. the le- the, all those things we talked about, all the rents and are c- high. C- c- just finish by saying this one thing. Would you rather have a franchise chain that's 20 stores and you're making a million dollars or a franchise chain that is 100 stores and you're making $2 million? You know, you, you just... They're, they're trying to, what I've seen, and this is why, getting back to your original question about the post, people are, the franchisors are feathering their nest early. Yes. And then that is that is stifling the growth, the overall growth. So they're never going to get past that. They're never going to get to 
a $2 million or $10 million EBITDA because it just doesn't stack up. And then you have to exit those underperformers from the start because you've been just grabbing the initial franchise. Yeah. Thank you. First edition, 2024. It's my first first interview without hair. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We would love to get feedback from anyone who's listening about future topics that we're doing. You know, love to hear from people, you know, text one of us. Um, for future topics. Thanks, gents. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Bruce.